This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced at WGN Radio with the clinical staff, doctors, and folks from Rosecrans. I'm John Williams. Our guest today is Tom Farley. He is the Community Relations Coordinator at Rosecrans, and he is the brother of another famous Farley. Tom Farley's brother was Chris Farley, the famed SNL actor, who died at the age of 33 because of what? What was his ultimate cause of death, Tom? Uh, it was uh, opioid. It was, you know, heroin overdose. overdose yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks for visiting with yeah, us. And good to be here. I know sharing with us candidly your family's story, your story, and Chris's story, too. If I may, let's just start with Chris. He was on Saturday Night Live from 1990 to 1995. Yeah. We knew him for his over-the-top sketches in movies like Tommy Boy. But as you said, he died of an overdose at the age of 33, the same age that John Belushi was, by the way, and um, had battled with his weight and his addictions. He had sought help 17 times. Does all of that sound about true? Yeah. Four siblings? Yeah, four siblings. So there are four boys. We have an older sister, Barb. Five. So five kids. Five kids. Mom and dad. And how many have suffered from or did suffer from addiction? All of us but the dog. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we all, um, yeah, all have our our issues. Um, Mom was the first one to kind of realize that, and she's been sober for over over 25 years. Hmm. And the rest of us have just kind of feel, as time, yeah. With food, alcohol, opioids, what? Uh, oh, yes. I'm glad you mentioned food. I mean, definitely food. But also, you know, drinking. You know, big, big Irish drinking family, you know. And then um, if that wasn't enough, you know, as I said, some of us kind of went, you know, Chris obviously um, went down the road a little further. But What was it like growing up in that household? Well, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, we, you know, my... Uh, my dad was just, he loved to just whip us into a frenzy, you know, and just... Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, he just loved, you know, it, you know, he loved this kind of circus that he created, and he just loved, uh, he loved the um, uh, kind of being out in public and... So I know Chris, your dad was a lot like Chris, or Chris was a lot like your dad? In the sense that, you know, I, I describe my dad as having this kind of magnetism you know, like, you know, all our friends wanted to, you know, come over before we went out to see Dad. He was like that, you know, the, the light on the back porch with all the moths coming. And Chris had that personality, too. It wasn't all funny. The humor came from our Boston mother, you know, Boston Irish raised, you know, that side of the family. But Dad was just always had this, um, just bag, just that you wanted to be around him. And Chris definitely, you know, took that and, you know, Made it his own, too. Was it a happy childhood for you all? Well, happy in the sense that we were always having fun. Um, it wasn't, you know, uh, we, we didn't we didn't go too deep down, you know, the emotional side. We didn't really bond emotionally with our, as our humor that really kept, uh, kept us kind of kind of rolling you know but well um but it was fun yeah when did addictions begin to surface in your family when did you notice that chris had a problem not really not until he got his dream job you know he he got on to snl and at that time that was you know not only had snl snl gone through all this before with with the Belushi and everything like that. So they were really professional at that time, and uh, they were only going to take so much. And Lauren, uh, I think a couple times, just said, Chris, you're, you're real close to losing it all. 
you know, I, you know, don't make me fire you. And it was really job loss was the first kind of, you know, indication of warning and bell. But it, that's why it took him so many times in, in treatment, because he thought it was just, you know, I, I go here for 30 days. I'm done. I'm cured. I go back. And he just couldn't understand how, how the, this roller coaster wasn't straightening out for him. Did he want to be straight, or did he want to continue to go back? Well, Chris had a lot of fear, you know, as anyone will tell you with an addiction is is, is very fear-based. Afraid of what? Afraid that he'd be found out as, as not being as funny or as a fraud or not being genuine. You know, it goes a lot of different ways. I did want to talk to you, though, about long-term recovery. Chris wasn't able to achieve it. He couldn't get over the hump. You personally have, though, correct? Yes, yes. And it, but it took me a while to get there. But once I, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of difficulty before you, like, kind of walk through that door and, ex- and accept that this is who I am. There's a lot of, of fear and difficulty before you make that move. But you also realize that there's just as much difficulty on the other side. The difference is the difficulty on one side of the door always gets worse, where on the other side it gets better. Yeah, It doesn't It doesn't automatically just, I'm in recovery, this is it. It's, a, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a new struggle. Yeah. But as you may have just alluded, and some of your colleagues at Rosecrans have said to me, the longer you're on the other side of the door, it never gets maybe very easy but it gets easier yeah life, life is always throwing stuff at you yeah and you know you're able to manage it and just and accept things and accept who you are i think a question a lot of people have who are maybe on the first side of the door is do you miss it maybe that's what that's what i thought you would say they're afraid of they're afraid that the rest of their life will be that pang that, of wanting something that you can't have or giving up something you think is important to you like i talk a lot about the myths of like i'm gonna have to give up all my friends and i'm never gonna have fun again well that's you know I've learned that I've I've found deeper connections and better friendships. Not to say that the other ones were bad. Some were, some weren't. But I found better connections in recovery. And I'm, you know, as far as fun goes, I mean, you're, you're not going to tell Farley he's not going to have fun for the rest of his life. So I mean, I've I've found this one better included fun. myself included. <laughs> yeah. I and all my brothers. Yeah, we. Uh, I, I'm finding a different definition of fun. Are your siblings sober? Yes. Um, well, my sister never really had. You know, she could have like you know a glass of wine and put it, and and that was it. The the boys, you know, we just didn't have an off button. But um, yeah, so we're also over now. Do you have a feeling then about how that happens? Is it hereditary or or not? Um, addictions? Um, is it something that some families they got the bug, they got bit, and it's going to be harder for some families or individuals than others? Well, you know, it, again, there's there's two sides of it. There's the mental side, the physiological side. I mean, you take certain drugs, your body are, is going to like cling to you know that's that's a different um, it's, it's a different program um, that that takes work. But for, on the the thing that I noticed in recovery for me was I thought it was about drinking, and I came from an Irish family, came from Wisconsin, I came from a history of drinkers, and I would go to AA meetings, and I'm like, well, but I'm not that bad. I'm not bad as that guy, and that was my barometer. And when I was sober for a good amount of time, the sobriety gave me the clarity to understand and start working on the real issue, which was the way I think, the way I process, and that is 
you know, that that can come along just from the environments you're in. It's, it's how we process stuff. And uh, that was the revelation I needed. And Chris never got that message. Or at well, least he did. Got for, the message but wasn't able to act permanently on it. Right. The problem with Chris is that he had – he was just on a roll – it was great to see him in recovery when we both lived in New York. That's when he became like one of the funniest people around. Was this during SNL? He was yeah. sober for a yep. period of time? Yeah. As a matter of fact, when the, the, one of the times he got out of treatment in about his third year on SNL, and he came back, and the, and the difference was he didn't go back to his nice apartment on Riverside Drive. He went down to a sober living house in lower Manhattan, and here's this guy that checked into – um, uh, that, that was on TV every day, every you know, national celebrity. But he would check in every night at, to his cot in the sober living and really worked his program and it made all the difference in the world. And was he funny then? Was he as funny then? You know, I'm the oldest, so I you know, I, you know, I studied. So I looked at my brother like you know, he's not really working at it. And all of a sudden, he really knew his craft. He became a, a real acting pro- professional actor. To see that, I was like, oh, wow, okay. That's recovery and... and uh, so he could, have made a, he could have made a living doing that. He could have been successful and maybe even happy doing that, right? Yes. The, the Chris Farley character. Mm-hmm. How, how much was that Chris Farley, though? That, that that's what he was like. Oh, he was much, much deeper, much deeper than that. But I'll give you an, an example. Um, he was... In when he relapsed out in LA, we did go to a um, another treatment facility, more real hardcore. And um, he was in the middle of that when he got a call from his manager and said, "Hey, you've we, they want you and David Spade to to present at the Oscars. Can you get out of treatment?" And Chris was like, "Well, he he was balancing his treatment against his career." And his manager was saying career, and he said okay, and he left treatment. To, to do this thing that he didn't really need to do. Who was his manager? Amy Winehouse's dad? I mean, that yeah. sounds that sounds so mercenary yeah. or short-sighted. Ooh, right. Short-sighted. Yeah, that's as I said. These are people that are just want you to be um, healthy enough to continue to make that money. I'm thinking of various things that we know him for over the years. His interview on SNL with Paul McCartney and those kinds of celebrities. Yeah. Uh, where was he in his road to recovery then? Which he version was, of Chris Farley he was He was that? in recovery. I was not. I went, up, I went up to visit him with some friends of mine that afternoon, and he walked me out of there. <laughs> no I was, kidding. Because yeah. you weren't straight. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and good was, on him. And he was, yeah, I was like telling Paul that, uh, you know, <laughs> SNL could really make his career. This could be the big thing oh, for no him. Oh, no kidding. Here's yeah, your break, Chris Paul. was looking at me like, get, get out. I'm like, okay. And where you said he was deeper and maybe had more depth to him than you would get from a Saturday Night Live sketch, I believe that. But I also think that was kind of the, that wasn't the falling down silly Chris Farley, but that was a very comedic funny chris farley that we were seeing there and that was him straight that was him sober yeah and you would think then if he could be that good sober why would you ever take drugs that must sound very stupid or naive of me but i mean it's not like um he needed a crutch when you see him doing that with paul freaking mccartney you go dude you are the funniest most talented cleverest guy in the world that's such a great 
bit that you did. Yeah. You know, how could you be insecure, I guess, is my point, about your craft if you are that good sober? It, it, it's it, the self-doubt and the fear. It, I mean, that, that is always waiting the wings. You know, that's why you have to, when you're in recovery, that's why you have to, when you, when that, that's when you go from, oh, I, I only need like, you know, a couple meetings a week to, no, I got to start going like once a day. You You have to know that about yourself when you need to uh either call a sponsor or get get to a meeting and, and just do and dig down deeper and how work. often do you have to do that go to a meeting reach out to a sponsor i have my uh, my pillars i've got my uh, my one uh, wednesday night uh group I, I found during covid it's a it's a group in illinois that i call in and it's virtual but they're wonderful guys um i've got my saturday home group that i originally started with and i um, and luck- luckily, my work at Rosecrans allows me to yeah. talk to our clients. You know, I, I, I say to them a lot, like, can I talk to some of our clients? Can, just telling my story it's, it's, and, and just reconnecting to the recovery community. That's about long-term recovery, yeah. then, which, by the way, is what I'm supposed to be talking to you more about. Yeah. And that is, what's the difference one to the other? And how do you know that you are kind of over that hump? What's the transition like? Well, it's growth, you know, and I'll I'll give you a I'll give you an example. This is this is what I used and I you know, when and with even with my kids as recently as, you know, over the holidays, I said, you know, when I I got divorced about ten years ago and wasn't in recovery and when people ask me why did you get divorced, I would say, Well, you know, my wife wasn't, you know, supportive of me. She you know, she didn't respect me and didn't have my back. A couple of years later, I got into recovery, and initially in recovery, I would say, well, rigorous honesty is a part of, of recovery. If I'm going to be honest with myself, we both weren't very supportive of each other, and we weren't respectful, and we didn't have each other's back. Now, a little farther down the road in recovery, when people ask me, I'm like, you know what? I wasn't very supportive. I wasn't very respectful. It, 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 her, it, it, no one else. It's just me and what I and I'm responsible for my actions. It's a, it's a, it's the growth that recovery gave me, and to be able to to apply that to other relationships and other things, and and uh, it's it's just that that thinking, and and it takes a long time to retrain your mind to do that, but the end result is a lot of peace. Yeah, it must feel good, I was thinking. Yeah. And it must make your family feel good. Oh, my kids, I, I never really talked to them about recovery, but they, they see that. They see it and, and and acknowledge it. Did you have to hit a low? Does everybody hit a low, do you think, before they begin recovery and long-term recovery? You know, we talk about yeah. hitting bottom. Did you have a, a moment where you thought, okay, I can't do this anymore? No, I just got tired. You know that this is I'm like getting getting on like the rest of my life of this you know, the roller coaster and I've had I've had I had periods in my life where I would stop drinking I had five years I would have before something would jar it like stress or I can maybe I can have one Guinness on St Patrick's Day and you know that's all it took and I was back on varsity within no time but uh, it's this last time I. Um, said okay again i i'm getting old i'm i have bad habits and i ran into a friend of mine 
from Rose France long before I worked there. And I said very proudly, I uh, haven't had a drink in, in four months. And she said, oh, well, that's wonderful. Let's have coffee. I said, I'd love to reconnect. She goes, great. Well, I'll meet you Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, in the basement of the Presbyterian Church. I'm like, okay. I know what happens in the basement of the Presbyterian Church is on. So I went into my first AA meeting. And, <laughs> and uh, it, because I, I, I trusted her, and I... You know, I, that was that was it. It was it was a, a combination of I'm really tired of this life and finding that right person that I trusted, and 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 that was my first step into you know releasing and, and accepting who I was and and giving up to a higher power, which in this person was this this woman. That's part of the AA philosophy, mm-hmm. too, isn't it? And yeah. I know that Rosecrans subscribes to those sorts of steps. Um, were those helpful to you then? Absolutely. It, it, you know, I, I, I clung to the, the two things. Like, it was the acceptance, you know, I lo- you know just to who I am. Because I was always trying to show people, as I think Chris was, you know, they wanted the funny guy, so I would do that. And it was uncomfortable. It didn't feel right. I needed to drink to be able to do that. So to to be able to find out who I really was was intriguing to me. The life of a recovered person, how much does that define you then? How much do you think about it in those terms? Or is part of long-term recovery you don't even think about it anymore? Although it sounds like since you twice a week tend to your personal addiction or past addiction it's still very much a part of your identity well, and life. especially especially i don't know it's just coming out of covid when the rest of the world was just coming unhinged because they weren't connected they were isolated i was able to go as many times as i want wherever i wanted and connect with people even though it was just about our recovery, it was a feeling of connection. And for that, that was enough. And what, but I now know that feeling. And I'm hoping as my uh, recovery grows that I can, I can, I can seek out or, or give that sort of connection to other people, to other people in my life that might like my kids that are important to me that like, now I know what this feels like. And I don't have to just keep it to my disease. I can make it part of who I am, you know, connecting with people. But it sounds like while it is obviously part of you, it's part of your history, it's part of your family's history, it doesn't define you maybe the way it did previously, either as an addict or even as a person just recovering. It sounds like while your work makes it part of your life, you have a life outside of struggling with your addiction. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I, I, and if you discovered something about yourself, like, hey, I can juggle, or I, you know, I, know, I don't know what it is, either personally or vocationally, did you discover things about yourself as a recovered addict that you didn't realize as somebody who was struggling with addiction? Well, people in recovery are, are always trying to you know, take me on, on hikes and walks. <laughs> so I, re- I refuse and resist that. So I already knew that. <laughs> um, I love... Being creative, the challenge of like now, okay, it, it, it's easy to to walk into a bar, you know. But like finding other things, I, I I'm a curious person, and I love the fact that this life now gives me the ability to to really energize my my creative mind and my curious mind to oh all right, what is it? What's it going to be for you? 
Because previously you knew the answer. It would have been alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. You know, we talk about the you know the fellowship. I had a fellowship when I was drinking, and you know, um, but they weren't like there wasn't a real connection there, and their sole purpose was to drink, and it was not really my best friends. So then, do they not invite you over anymore because I got, they're going to drink and you're not? Yeah, no, they, I still get it because I'm I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> so I got a text last night from a friend of mine. That, you know, we're, we're up in up in, in Wisconsin. It's like. You know the badgers are on. Like are you coming over? I'm like, nah, I'm good. And wait, you didn't go to watch I, it. I your, didn't. Your yeah. friend drinks. Oh, a lot of them do. Okay, and you didn't go to watch the Badgers game with them because you didn't want to be around alcohol. Because I want a, I wanted to be, watch the game, and I knew that's not what they were gathering for. But before, I would have like, yeah, because. It wasn't about the game for me. It was about an opportunity to drink. And, and uh, boy, uh, pardon me if this sounds stupid or naive, but what's more fun, drinking with the guys with the game on in the background or being sober and watching the game? Sober and watching the game, absolutely, because you watch the game, for one. But also, you know, it's for me, it's it's a better connection. As I said, being in a room full of people, the only connection was drinking. I really, you know, I had this conversation this morning with a friend of mine that that um, we stopped drinking together. And, like, you know, we would both would have been at that party to drink, not because of who they were yeah. or, the, or the game was on. It was – that was it. That was – Plus the consequences, I suppose, of – not to disparage your friends and that yeah. drinking party they had. I mean, that's not the end of the earth, but – the consequences of that lifestyle will kill you, and the consequences of staying home sober and enjoying that kind of a life won't. So it's not just a which is more fun, John. It's which which is a survival mechanism, which is a way to live. And where do you find more growth? And here's another thing that I, uh, I, I learned. You know, I was always looking at – um, where I needed to be, where I thought I needed to be. Well, well, I went to a good school. I should be. I should have this job, and I should be, you know, living in this kind of house. I was always looking at the result, not the action. I wasn't doing the work to get there. In recovery, we say it's it's actions before results. You've got to do something, even if it's the simplest thing, like just wake up every morning and make your bed. It's an action and a and it grows from there. Do you think you could have, knowing what you know now, done something to help your brother more? You know, I said this when we were at, when I was talking to the group at our Lakeview recovery home, I said, I would have loved to have been in recovery with, with Chris. Because there's nothing like talking honestly about some of the sim- similar things, some of the th- things that that have caused us to fear and doubt. You know, the things that that Chris was fearful of and had the self-doubt were generated from the same thing that causes me the same thing. You know, the same kind of environment. So there would, there would have been that connection, that healing that like we both that we, you know, kind of nodded like, yeah, I felt that way. Yeah. We went through that together and uh, it would have been nice to, to have that. I think we equate to people who have high IQ and humorous people, they say, are. You don't do what you guys do. You're not that successful if you're not an intelligent person. And if you're an intelligent and funny person, you'd think that life would be relatively easy for people. Look at John Mulaney, who 
seems to have been on the same arc as your brother. Hopefully he'll be able to survive his demons. But John Mullaney, he went to Georgetown, too. Did did. you go to Georgetown? Yep, yep, we both, yeah. One would think that that would sort of um, give you the armor to get through life. You're smart and you're funny. So if somebody zooms by you or the waiter is confusing or you're agitated at life, you'd think that you guys would be especially equipped to handle that. But you said disease just now, mm-hmm. and I think that's an operative word here too, isn't it? That I wouldn't fault somebody for getting cancer, even if they smoked maybe. Some people get it, some people don't. Sure. If you have a disease though, um, that, that, that's not the dark side of medicine. That's, hey, I've got, I've got something here that is really hard to deal with. And, and, and look, at the, look at the stories of, of resilience and survival that, that, that we apply to people that ha- have, you know, a, 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 a disease like cancer. But we don't apply the same things to somebody with addiction, and yet the resilience and the, and the, and the stories of success and, and wonderful life are, are just – well, do you tell yourself same. that? Do you say, uh, by the way, um, I beat my addiction, or I'm beating my addiction? I mean, talk about your superpower. Damn, that's a, that must have been a struggle. It must be hard every day. You're Superman sitting there right now. Well, you know, I saw um, something uh, online. It was very interesting uh, just today when they said that um, the people that had like a hard day yesterday, you know, or maybe a hard week, they have one hundred percent success at survival, just by being today. You know, like, because that was yesterday. You know, the, like the people don't understand that. You know, just to be here, healthy and and working a program, that that's a hundred percent success. And all the stuff that you encountered in life yesterday, an hour ago, you survived it. And you got to tell yourself that. Yeah, really. Uh, how many of us can say I'm 100% successful at something, but that I got to tomorrow and I'm re- I'm not only recovering, I'm getting better at it, as you said, yeah. which I think is an interesting concept, because I'm not 100% successful at my work. I'm, I'm not 100% success at anything. Yeah. But give yourself credit for being here tomorrow. Totally. Tom Farley is the community relations coordinator at Rosecrantz. Um, any last words for the listeners of this podcast about long-term recovery and the possibilities that it holds? Well, I, I would say this is one of the lessons that Chris taught me. It's funny. I was uh, always trying to, you know, I graduated from Georgetown, was in New York, followed all my friends to Wall Street, and I was always playing like this caricature who, of who I thought I was supposed to be. And I also thought that Chris, you know, from the time we shared a bedroom together, was just on this earth to push my buttons. But really what he was saying, because he was, he was a guy that was known for his characters, but all he was doing was being himself. And I think all these years was, Tommy, just be yourself, you know, find out who you are, find your lane. And I think, you know, after all the stuff I've done, you know, speaking to kids about Chris's story, going to the schools, talking about substance use prevention, my own recovery, to find myself here actually at Rosecrans and, and getting people help is is amazing. I started out doing some podcasts when when COVID started, when I was talking about the coming storm, like, you know, w- w- people are going to be leaving this pandemic with behaviors they didn't have going in. And there's there's going to be a lot of need for 
for help. And in the middle of that, I said to myself, I got to stop talking about it. I've been talking about it for 20 years. And Chris died of an opioid um, overdose 25 years ago. And that that epidemic is it has grown and more people died. That's That's amazing to me after what I experienced. And so... To, f- to finally find my lane and to be here getting people help feels really good. This is On Your Radar, Living in Recovery, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, northern and central Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.